yeah, it's, it's just it's always nice as things are are flowing. I've got a a short video clip, not uh, that I want to show first. I just came across this this week, and it just seemed apropos to to things that we're uh, we're talking about. And this is still connecting in where I started weeks ago about our personal finances, how do we manage our finances, and the idea that my finances, your finances, don't sit separate from you. They actually are integrated in you and flow out of where you're at. So if, if in my identity, if my, in my place of, of viewing myself and so forth, if I, if I see everything from a negative, I'm in lack I, point of view, then what's going to come is that. And then obviously, if I see myself in a different spot than a lot of what's been said today, my story is being added to on a continual basis. And like as, as um, you said, there's those places where I can't tell you the story yet. You're looking at me wanting me to tell you the end. I haven't got to the end. But hang around. Because my story will talk of his faithfulness but sometimes his faithfulness is, is years in manifesting to the point that I can actually go, good grief, that was him. That was you all along. So let's just watch this quick clip by Steve Harvey, and then I'll get up again. Ain't no elevator to the top. You got to take the stands. The elevator don't go to the top, man. Not in the world of success. You have control of this. This belongs to you. This is yours. You're the captain. You're the master. You're the foreman. You're the general. You're the head. Don't give control of this to nobody. Get off of Instagram and snap. And get off all these blogs and get into something that can really, really move your life forward. Listen, getting successful, it's not a magic trick. You can decide to be rich. It's highly doable. But you first have to think it. The difference between successful people and non-successful people is here. I'm no better than none of y'all. If you want to be successful, you have to change this. This has to change. Listen to me, it's not, what makes it hard is your lack of belief that it can happen for you. The fact of it is though, it's very doable. See, if, but you gotta change though. If you keep doing what you've been doing, you're gonna keep getting what you've been getting. So if you're at a place in your life and you ain't happy with it, you have to change some things. But you have to make a conscientious decision that you're going to change. And it's not dependent on anybody else. It don't matter what your mama think. It don't matter what your co-workers think. It don't matter what your siblings think. It don't matter what your children think. It don't matter. They have nothing to do with it. This decision is yours and yours alone. Let me tell you something. You get to decide if I'm gonna be rich, poor, mediocre, plentiful, happy, sad. You, you have a decision to make.
I'm going to preach it right now. Yeah. <laughs> <clears throat> you know, I, I, I don't follow Family Feud because I don't really follow anything like that, but I did come across a while back, Steve Harvey rolled into town living in his car. And nothing, had nothing before family, you know, the door started to open because he, he knew he had something inside, but he had nothing outside. So he's, he's speaking from experience of what it looks like. And there's, you know, you can go hear the motivational teachers and, and seminars and so forth, and, and, and it's not that there isn't a... a you know, there isn't truth in that. There isn't a reality in that. Uh, yeah, I can pour everything into me and out of me. I can bring forth whatever I'm going to bring forth. But the problem with that is it all centers around me. But the invitation we have is to actually come into a relationship with my creator, your creator, and instead of me trying to figure out what me's going to do, because it's all about me, now I get to come into fellowship with my creator and get to ask the right question. Not, do what, not what do I do with me, but what did you create me to be? Because that's where I'm fulfilled. I can't be fulfilled trying to be what he created you to be. That's right. It's not going to work. He created each of us uniquely special with our own set of fingerprints. And he said, I have something for you to do. And as I just why I like this clip, I just I, when when I was watching it, and he goes, "It's right here." It's all right here. And this right here, don't give it to nobody. I'm like, dang, that's a good word right there. I'm not going to give it to anybody. Because there's always the naysayers. There's always the people that, that will be there lined up to tell you what you can't do. Or to tell you what you're doing wrong. Or whatever. They're all there. But I, I'm not giving this to them. I've been given the mind of Christ. That's who I want to talk to. And I have to do whatever I have to do to get to that spot where he and I are having a conversation. I love the, I love the place where you know, Jesus goes in, the, the, the girl's dead. He goes in, all the mourners are all lined up, got the whole funeral procession all lined up. Everybody's been paid. Everybody's ready to cry for three days, and it's going to be something. And Jesus walks in and goes, ah, she's not dead. She's asleep. And they all go, that man's nuts. I like his response. Get them out of here. Just move them out of the room. I'm not talking to them. I'm talking to her. This is about her. I've come for her. You get out of the room. Now, 
I'm kind of putting this in a little bit. I don't know the scriptures would necessarily say this, but they're paid mourners. I'm pretty sure when he put them out of the room, they've been paid to cry. You keep crying. They're all outside the door crying. They might have cried louder because they needed to thought they needed to be heard on the inside. The negative people never go away. I have to decide, are you in the room? You out of the room? Or at this point, I let you in the room for a while, but I'm sorry, you've lost your privilege to be in my room. <laughs> out with you. I, I want to get up in the morning hearing what the Holy Spirit is saying that this particular day, because this is the only day I got, what are we going to do today? And then just be honest with myself with what I hear and then just do it. This is a... I, I, um, I've been reading a book. I would highly recommend this book. It's called Not Tragically Colored. And the author of the book is Ishmael Hernandez. Now, Ishmael um, comes from a mixed family. His mother is African. His father's Puerto Rican. Lived in Puerto Rico. His father was a Puerto Rican revolutionary when independence in the early 60s when there was the big push in Puerto Rico to have it liberated from being a territory. So his father is an avowed socialist communist, believes that the only way for things to change is by revolution, and the revolution needs to destroy everything that's there so that something new can be brought back. So he grew up in a family of revolutionaries. In the day, his father was friends with Castro. His uh, Chavez was, um, not Chavez, uh, his name, it was the revolutionary that was with Castro, it's not Chavez. Yeah. Yes, Shay. They, he was actually at their home in Puerto Rico with his, with his father. So there, was, so there was, so here's a guy that was totally influenced by what life looks like as a revolutionary. But he says this, this is about halfway through the book, and it's called Not Tragically Colored. From the beginning of life, we are created as subjects, as agents of choice. The human person is not called only to change, but also to choice. We are not only capable of choosing, but we also know what we choose. This self-awareness or subjectivity means that we are cognizant of our self-reflection and can recognize the particular, particularly of our existence. No amount of theorizing can eliminate that awareness deep in our hearts. Even if later we point fingers and give excuses, we know better. A deep dishonesty is inherent in the denial of our self-awareness, such as when some adduce ignorance of our capacity to choose or offer racial theories of oppression, thus excusing individuals 
when they refrain from choosing what is good in pursuit of the safety that of a parasitic life offers some find comfort in boredom of meaningless life with its unavailable encroachment upon freedom where the denial of the capacity to choose is the ticket to safe emptiness a racialist Examination of social interaction is often tied to a denial of the human capacity for moral choice. To examine social conditions while denying the human capacity for self-awareness and free choice is fruitless. Morality is empty without freedom. Our self-awareness creates a singular condition. We are unique and exceptional among the known creatures. And exceptionalism is what we call dignity. So there's this place, as he points out, there's this place where each of us are created in the image of God. I'm created with capacity. You're created with capacity. And it's not uniform. Every one of us in this room have a different capacity than the other. It's not about the level of capacity I have. It's about the fact that I have capacity. And God's in that. That's, that's the creative life of the, of the creator in me is this thing in me that gives me capacity. You know, I, um, and, and in that capacity is this place of self-awareness. Uh, two, two examples of self-awareness. We have mockingbirds around our house. This time of year, the male mockingbirds start to drive me crazy because they see themselves in the mirror of my truck and will constantly attack themselves in the mirror and then poop down the whole side of my truck. I have spent afternoons with a 20-gauge looking for that sucker because I'm going to introduce him to himself if I get within range. So the mockingbird doesn't have capacity of self-awareness. Our, our youngest granddaughter, Hazley, now has a little mirror that's part of this, the playset she sits in. So there's this little mirror. You watch her in the mirror. She has self-awareness at a year old. She knows that the image is not something else. It's her. She has the capacity of self-awareness. I do. You do. And and that works itself out in that that's how we know and and intrinsically know when I've done something and and it was right or I did something and it doesn't feel right. It doesn't, I don't have to be aware, Paul talks about this through Romans, I don't have to be aware of a written moral code in order to know that I need to be moral, that certain things are right, certain things are wrong. They're already in me. Now, I can choose to push those down. I can choose to ignore those. I can choose to layer other things over those. I can choose to medicate those. I can make lots of choices. But the choices I make do not destroy or take me out of my self-awareness, nor does it let me off the hook 
of going, I didn't know. Yeah, you did know. You may not have acted on it, but you know. In Isaiah, the 58th chapter, again, this idea of choice. And when, and again, it, I'm still, even though it, I'm layering some things right now, but I'm still talking about our finances. I'm still talking about how they work, why they work. What are the principles behind them? <clears throat> Isaiah 58, starting with verse 5. Is such the fast that I choose a day for a person to humble himself? Is it to bow down his head like a reed and spread sackcloth and ashes under him? Will you call this a fast? A day acceptable to the Lord? Of course, those are rhetorical questions. And then he goes ahead and he starts answering them. Is not this the fast I choose? To loose the bonds of wickedness? to undo the straps of the yoke, to let the oppressed go free, and to break every yoke? Is it not to share your bread with the hungry and bring the homeless poor into your house when you see the naked to cover him and not to hide yourself from your own flesh? Then your light breaks forth like the dawn, and your healing shall spring up speedily. Your righteousness shall go before you, and the glory of the Lord shall be your rear guard. Then you shall call, and the Lord will answer. You will cry, and he will say, Here I am. And if you take away the yoke from your midst, the pointing finger, and speaking wickedness, if you pour yourself out for the hungry and satisfy the desire of the afflicted, then your light rise in the darkness, and your gloom be as the noonday. We, we've had this, you know, fasting. Oh, yeah, you got to fast. And, and we do all this stuff. And Jesus criticized uh, the Pharisees when he said, when you guys fast, you know, you get your face all contorted. You want everybody in town to know you're miserable and you're miserable for God. And this is going to make you closer to God. He's like, that's not what the fast is about. It's not why you fast. This is why you fast. The interesting thing about this fast is I'm actually sharing my bread with someone. I'm, it's about, the fast is about the relationship. The fast is about the other person. The fast is about what is my heart opening towards for this other person? What am I doing that breaks the yoke for this other person? What am I doing that provides a pathway to freedom for this person who has been bound in whatever they're bound in? The people that are calling you. That's the fast. That's what we do. That's why we do it. In Matthew twenty-two thirty-seven, And he said to him, you, sh you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and with all your mind. And today, I just I want to focus on this thing of the mind. That's why I played that clip. It's right here. It's right here. I've been given the mind of Christ. Now, they clarify at least my view of the mind of Christ. This is not magic. It's not something that I just, oh, and you know, I just have the mind of Christ. And we, we, if we're not careful, intentionally or not, we can take that statement and somehow incorporate it into our lives that it's more of a charm 
It's more of a potion than it is a relationship. I have the mind of Christ because the Holy Spirit dwells in me. I have the mind of Christ because I've been made the temple of the living God. I have the mind of Christ because the power of Christ dwells in me. But to have the mind of Christ, what does that even mean? It does not mean that I don't have to study and show due diligence because I have the mind of Christ and it'll just come to me. I'm going to get 100 on the calculus test because I have the mind of Christ. I mean, that's, that's like, yeah, I see the logic in it, I, and I've done it. <laughs> Just to go on record, I did not pass the test. <laughs> I still had to open the book and study. <laughs> I, had, I, have to, I have to make the choice to show due diligence in life to accomplish the things that I know I've been created and called to accomplish. Because he's called me doesn't mean he does it all. He's called me and said, you, Robert, put your hand to the plow. And when put your hand to the plow, don't look back. Just keep plowing. You know, that, that phrase that, that there... Uh, as a kid growing up on the farm, when my uncle took me to a field for the first time that I was going to be on the tractor by myself, I'd rode with him until he felt like, now you can do it. So for me, I was flying high. Twelve years old, I'm sitting on a machine, and it's all mine. Ten hours later... Lord, to get me off this machine, my butt's numb, my back hurts. I, I, but in the beginning, I was on the machine. But my uncle told me something really important that day. And we pulled in the field. And when I turned the tractors to make my first pass down the field, he said, now look up. What do you see down there? And I said, well, I don't know. He said, pick one object out. That's, that's in line with where you're looking. Now, in that particular one, it was a fence post. Sometimes it was a tree. It didn't, you, know, you just had to pick an object. And he said, now, as you're going down the field, you see the radiator cap on the front of that tractor. Keep that radiator cap aimed at where you're going. Don't look back. If you're plowing and you're looking back, you're all over the field. It might feel straight, it ain't straight. <clears throat> yeah. And especially in plowing, if the first course is wrong, it only gets worse as you go across the field. It's got to be straight. So Jesus is saying, when you put your hand to the plow, don't look back, look to where you're going. But again, these are choices I'm making. For us, as, um, <clears throat> for us as, as believers, it's, it's vitally important that we understand the self-awareness that we've been given and the gift that that self-awareness is. So when I, you know, I, I know, years ago, I don't do it much anymore, I don't think. Um, if you catch me doing it, you can bring it to my attention. Um, but but it's, it's, 
it's, it's a prevalent thing depending on what church groups you're in. And, and I know for me, it, it, there was a time that I've, I've said this where you're like, man, I just got to hear from God. Got to hear from God. Just walk in the church. Where's the prophet? I got to hear from God. Yeah. Yeah, I need a word. I got to have a word. And um, it's not that that's completely without merit. But the long and the short of it is, I have the word. I already have the word. Now, the, 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 prof, the prophetic can give some details to some things, but I have the word. And, and so, where is the word at? It's right here. It's right here. It's, right where, it, it's how I'm thinking. You know, I, maybe you guys are different, but when God speaks to me, it doesn't sound like Charlton Heston. It sounds like me. That's why it's so confusing. If it, sound, if it was Charlton Heston, then every time God spoke that way, I got, I got the word of the Lord. I got it. But instead, it sounds like me where I'm going, maybe. Maybe. I, I, you know, and why, why does it work that way? Because it's inclining my heart to the word of the Lord. And it's bringing me to this place where not only at this juncture in my life, I know the voice of God. It sounds just like me. But it also sounds different. There's something in it that carries something that just my voice alone doesn't carry. And it, it brings me into this place of, Okay, then that, that, okay, I'm going to go in that direction. And a lot of times, it's not even, um, how do I want to say this? Um, when, the, when, the, when I hear God's voice speaking to me, it's not, it's not exact in, in its direction. It gives the, his voice working in me, his voice working in you brings us the realms of choices and invites us to choose. It does not dictate and control and make me do what the voice is telling me to do. So now all of a sudden, I have to choose. Well, well, wouldn't it be easier if I didn't have to choose? Wouldn't it be easier if he just did it in that way? But then that's not love. Love always allows for choice. Love always allows for me to reject. Or it's not love. It's not controlling. It's an invitation. It's an invitation to come deeper. It's an invitation to discover something I didn't know before. It's an invitation to, to progress into something that is now I've been in, but now it's going deeper. There's all those things. But it's an invitation to come not a demand to do because it's love. And that's why it has to sound in my voice. Because if it sounded like Charlton Heston, I would immediately make it a religious practice. And I would lose the relationship because I would worship the voice and not the one behind the voice. And God is a jealous God. And he's not going to put us in places where we can easily replace him. Now we can choose to do that. 
but he's not going to make the way for us to do that. And his voice is always the one saying, come back. Come back. Why are you over there? I don't know. Well, why don't you come back? Can I? Sure. All right. So is it okay to come back? Yep. You don't have anything in your hand, do you? No, just come back. Just come back. Yeah, a ring and a robe. Romans 8, 6 and 7 says this, For to set the mind on the flesh is death. To set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. For the mind set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it can't. This idea of the flesh, some of us have been raised in places where, you know, everything, every conversation, we're, we're always weighing between the spirit and the flesh, spirit and flesh, spirit and flesh. Well, I, I don't find that being supported in Scripture. This verse that I just read, there is this place where we, you know, that the flesh is hostile to that. So there is, there is the carnal mind. There is this place where I can think in carnal realms. Carnal realms don't always, you know, that's not always a sexual term. It's just I can, I can think in terms that are just me. And anytime my, my way of thinking is me, it's carnal. It's self-serving. It's looking for what, what is in it for me. But if I have the mind of Christ, the mind of Christ comes along and says, well, I only do what I see the Father doing. I only say what I hear the Father saying. I lay down my will to do the will of the Father. That's the mind of Christ. It's not that I pass and get 100% on a calculus test. It's, no. Am I doing what I hear him saying? Or am I, yeah, am I doing it? Am I, you know, hearing what he's saying? Am I doing what he's saying or doing? And now I'm all confused. But somehow in that space, you know what I mean. <laughs> so that's the mind of Christ. It's like I, every day it's like, no, Father, I want to be in relationship with you. I want to start out this day being in a fresh place with you. Yesterday may not have been a good day. Yesterday may not have been part of the story I want to tell. But today, this is the only day I got. So I want to start today with you. And what are, you, what are we going to do? What does today look like? I know you're going to be with me all day long. So no matter what happens, whether I'm falling down the steps and blowing up two elbows, or you know, I'm doing something that's far more pleasant, He's with me. He's with me. Yeah. And it's not, you know, again, we're, we get into this place where like, you know, well, the flesh, I got to get rid of flesh. I got to kill the flesh. Got to do all this stuff. That's dualistic thinking. If, what, if that leads me to this place where I see myself as wretched, flawed, and, and damaged. That's Gnosticism. That's saying that this human body is so corrupt 
that it has no spiritual value at all is Gnostic thinking. It goes all the way back to Plato. He's the one that started this nonsense. And the church has incorporated more Plato than Jesus in a lot of our thinking. But that's Gnosticism. I'm not dualistic. I am a single human being created in the image of God, uniquely created, and yes, I have things that need to be moved or need to be handled in me redemptively. But the redemption that's coming isn't that somehow half of me gets thrown away and this other half kind of gets cleaned up. No, I am the whole package. This, this is all of Robert you're ever going to see. There isn't two of us. There isn't three of us. There's one. And I'm the only one that's ever existed and ever will exist with that. And I'm not dualistic. He deals with, he doesn't deal with me singular or dualistically. He deals with me from a single perspective. My blood is sufficient to, to bring you into this new creation that I've made you to be. And the new creation isn't that somehow I become something entirely different than what I am. That's, again, that's a dualistic thinking. That's not what God's trying to do. He likes you as you. When he made you, he said, this is good. How dare I come back and say, no, it ain't. ain't good. And, you know, in the resurrection, like if you can't make peace with yourself now, you've got a long time to spend with you. Because he's resurrecting you. If you think dying is going to get you away from this, on another day it's going to show back up. Because God always liked it anyway. He didn't, he's not trying to make a different image of you. You are the image that he loves. Now, I'm not excusing sin. All I'm saying is Jesus dealt with sin. And now gives me the invitation to choose to live my life with him as opposed to living my life the way I once lived it. Romans 12 says it this way, Do not be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. How do you do it? By testing. That's what, that's what he's saying, that by testing, you may discern. So if I'm testing something, that's a progressive thing. I'm testing to find something out. That one test, two tests, might not be what's needed. It might take four or five tests. You know, I, I don't remember the, the exact experiments, but I remember like in physics class where you would, you know, you would set up the experiment, and then, I don't know, I'm, but you come back with litmus paper, you put it in the beaker, and you look at it, and it's okay, it's whatever. And then we'd all sit there and watch our watch because we had to wait two minutes. And in two minutes, you come back, and you put the litmus paper in again, look at the color, write that on our chart. Two more minutes, two more minutes. However long it was, we would keep testing until at a certain point, 
the color of the litmus paper would be the color that told us the experiment was done. I may not in the beginning be in having the mind of Christ, in, in not being conformed to the world, in having my mind being renewed to the mind of Christ, it may take me a while to deal with my anger, where I have to come back and put the paper in again. Now, the way I put the paper in there is my anger blows up, and you're like, oh, dang, it's still here. Well, let's wait two more minutes. <laughs> <laughs> we'll put the paper in again. I might be tested in these things over time more than, more than once. But for me, the way that the flesh is dealt with isn't because I become uh, self-defacing, uh, you know, doing, what it, you know, doing whatever I have to do. I got to control the flesh. I got to, you know, I got to destroy the flesh, blah, 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 all that kind of stuff. No. That's, that, that to me, that's, that's like contrary to how it actually works. When in fact, to, to me, it's like um, when uh, something, so I turn my, okay, I'm dealing with my anger, I'm frustrated, I'm, I'm, I'm not doing a very good job, but as I keep turning my heart back to Christ, I'm, I'm parking myself there, I'm, I'm learning who I am in him. I'm learning his voice. I'm discerning, even down to the point of realizing that every time I get in this situation, I don't do well there. So maybe the, the discernment I'm carrying is, don't get in that situation. You know, when, we, when we first got saved, we were, of course, we were going to go to all the parties and get everybody at the parties. We were all going to get him saved. It was going to break out revival at the parties. And so, so we, we, we went with good, holy intentions. My wife did better at it than me. Not many people got saved, but I got high. And I got mad. And she got mad. So discernment kicks in. If I don't want my wife mad... Trying to evangelize the parties is probably not where I'm cut out right now to be doing that. So, major revelation. When I don't go to the parties, I don't get high. I was brilliant. When I don't go to the parties, my wife is happy. Brilliant. Yeah, it's a win-win. So what did I do? I didn't go to parties. Years later... We could go, and we could actually be effective to the people. But I was not mature enough to handle that and handle it well. Right? So I discerned what works. And I realized I don't want to be conformed to the world. And the flesh, the more I'm anchoring in Christ, the flesh ultimately just withers up. And, and goes away. I don't have to attack it. I don't have to spend all day fighting it. All I do is anchor my heart in Christ and what he's doing, and these other things fall away. <clears throat> so the mind of Christ is working through the Holy Spirit 
not to make me into something that I've never been. As I said, that's like dualistic thinking. But the mind of Christ forms me into what I was created to be, Christ in me, the hope of glory. That's what the mind of Christ is putting on. It's, and I, I get concerned when I, I listen to certain teachers and so forth, and they, they almost take this concept of the mind of Christ, and they're trying to turn it into this thing that somehow we can get you know, access to all the elements of the universe, and, and you know, Christ was in creation, so anything that's there, that's all accessible to us. Some of that is, I'm not completely pushing that aside, where I get concerned is when we're trying to use that, that uh, frame of thinking to not have to show due diligence in life and actually pursue ex excellence. You know, that it, it does require me to engage in life. It does require me to, to, to pay attention to where I am, what am I doing, where am I in this whole thing? Should that, should that person be in my room or out of my room? What, 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 what am I doing? What's, where am I at right now? How, how is my life reflecting Christ to those around me? Again, I've said this, but this isn't self-help. It isn't just motivational concepts and practices. It is the voice of God speaking to me, expressing how to order my life to achieve the highest levels of His glory and holiness so that in me and through me, heaven and earth can touch. That's the point. Is heaven and earth touching? If it's just me, no. It's not just touching. But when I am taking on the mind of Christ, when that's developing in me, when, I'm, when, I, when I see things differently, think things differently, when I become aware, and this happens at various times, and I'm sure it happens to you too, that you become aware of the fact that I don't know exactly when it happened, but right now I'm thinking differently than I saw, thought six months ago. You know, I don't know how that happened, but I'm, I'm, I've changed. Somehow, something happened. I changed. And I no longer think the same way that I thought. That is taking on the mind of Christ. And that is the work of the Holy Spirit. Sometimes he does it at night while we're sleeping. Sometimes he wakes us up in the middle of the night to let us know he's doing it in the middle of the night. <laughs> You know, other times he's doing it through the day. He does it, he does it in me through you. He does it in me through my enemies. He's at work in all things that are moving around us to conform us to his image. Not because he doesn't like who we are, but because he loves us enough for us to be the full expression of how he created, created us to be. And again, in a worldly mindset, we measure that in terms of productivity. I mean, that's, that's one of the things that, uh, and we'll talk about this on, on another day, but it's one of the things that frustrates me with certain um, governmental systems that are being pushed on the planet at the moment 
they sound like they're for making equality for everyone, but at the core of the practice, it's for the productive. If you're not productive, then you don't have a place. So it's not a... God, God has made each of us unique. And so the productivity isn't what makes me unique. I'm, I am made unique, and then I am productive to the level of my uniqueness. You know, I watched, uh, we were watching a show, I don't know, some time ago, but I don't even know what the disease is. But the, it's, a, it's a mental abnormality where, and, and actually when you look at this, this child, you're like, we all could use a little more abnormality. But her, she, she, doesn't, um, she doesn't have any awareness that people would harm her. She doesn't have any, if somebody says something derogatory, she doesn't even understand that. She just loves everybody. Absolutely loves everybody. And so it was following her around. She's hugging on people. She's just, you know, she's uh, like, she was like 14 years old. She just loves everybody and is totally innocent and totally unaware that anything bad can happen. Um, and so you could look at that and say, okay, well, she has, a, you know, she has a mental disorder, and they had a name for it and all that kind of stuff. Is it? Okay. But that's not what makes her valuable. That's not what makes her intrinsically good as she was created. That just is her level of production or her level of giving to those around her. Someone else has a different level. Every one of us in this room have different capacity, different level. That's not how we judge. That's judging by the world. What we judge is, is the fullness of God rising up in you, or is something hindering that? You know, my, my judgment should be not that you're not valuable, not that God isn't crazy town in love with you, but is there something that's interfering with you actually able to live at that capacity with him, then I'm called to be a liberator. I'm called to be a, a chain breaker. I'm called to be the one that offers something, be it word or deed, that changes that person's life somehow that helps them break free from the bondage they've been in. So that's what we're called to. And... And with that, I'm going to leave you with the, the words of probably one of the greatest prophets that's um, ever been. Today, you are you. That is truer than true. There is no one alive who is youer than you. Dr. Seuss. There is no one youer than you. You're uniquely, you're wonderfully made. So be you. And above all, this up here, don't give it to anybody. It's yours. Don't let them tell you how to think. Don't tell, let them tell you what to believe. Don't let them tell you who you are.
Don't give this to anybody. Amen? Amen. Let's stand. Holy Spirit, I thank you for, for all that you have done today, all that you are doing. And so I just seal today with this declaration. Today, you are you. That is truer than true. There is no one alive who is more youer than you. Be blessed, be you, and go change the world. Amen.